Well, good morning, Community Church. Why don't we stand to our feet as we get ready to give our God glory? But why don't we just lift our hands up right now and let's just begin to separate ourselves from all the things that have taken place this week, all the thoughts that have run through our head even before we've come to church today. Let's just begin to focus on our Lord, on our King, on our God. And so, Father, as we come into the house of worship, we choose to give you all glory. We choose to give you all honor. We choose to put our focus fully on you. We choose to say today that you are worthy of worship. And we choose to honor you in Jesus' name. So let's honor him today with our praise and our worship. Come on, let's release this with faith. Sometimes we're waiting for God to come and do something on us, but in the earth, you are the ones, you are the repeaters, you are the ones that broadcast the voice of the Lord. The word of the Lord is inside of you. Your voice will determine the kind of breakthrough we get in the next few minutes. Not what God has determined last year, last century, but what you release by faith right now. He said, everything you need for life and godliness, I've already given it you. You've, you've already been given the voice of the Lord. You have already have the word of God inside of you. Come on. Break every chain. In Jesus' name, we're contending not only for our own lives, but our children, this nation, the next generation, people that are going to be here this evening who are bound by trauma. We declare the name of Jesus to be the only name by which men will be saved. We say the name of Jesus breaks every chain. Fear, you will not have dominion. Fear, you will not rule over the church of Jesus Christ. Fear will bow its knee in the nation of Canada. God, Father, we say today, <laughs> we set our eyes on you. Every heart, every mind. And we say, Lord, bring what is coming next for us. Break through the fog. Break through the disillusionment. Break through the heaviness. Break through those things that suffocate our vision, suffocate our hope. Father, in Jesus' name, right now I pray, God, for this entire region, not only those that are in the room, God, but for this entire region. I say, Lord, awaken. Awaken hope. God, we pray for every church in this region. Come on, let's pray for the other churches right now that are lifting up the name of Jesus. Let's believe right now that something unusual in the presence of God will fall upon their meetings. Breakthrough. God, we pray for breakthrough. We pray for breakthrough in the Alliance, Spruce Grove Alliance this morning, in the Baptist Church, in Gateway. Father, we say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, come awaken. Come awaken. Come awaken. 
Come awaken. Pour it out. Pour it out. Awaken. Oh God. You know, whether we're ready or not, something's coming. And God is wanting us to get ready because there is a cross section of the body of Christ on the earth that's ready to run full speed ahead with harvest, with a a plan for discipleship to raise up a generation that I refer to from the Psalms as the generation of Jacob, those that seek his face. They will be volunteers in the day of his power and they will do everything that is in his heart. Amen. (laughs) Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do it here. Do it in me. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, so many, uh, so many great things happening. Thank you, God. I don't think, you know, and probably every generation can say this because we are on a trajectory from the days of John, the Apostle John, to now of increasing light. This is, this is the mindset we need to have about where we're going. This is the vision God wants to give us is that we are not receding into darkness. But he said this. He said that the, the darkness is already passing away. Wow, that's a powerful thing. The Apostle John says the darkness is already passing away and the true light is shining. And so I was just talking to somebody about this the other day and we were talking about, okay, well, what do you make then of seeming surges in darkness? You know, uh, Nazi Germany, Rwanda, you know, all of these these sort of uh, Afghanistan today. Listen. These are not surges of darkness, they're unveiling of darkness. They are are the effort of the church bringing so much light, the enemy can't hide who he really is anymore, and he he shows his true self. You know, there was a movie years ago called The Untouchables, and it was um, starring Kevin Costner, it was about uh, Capone, Al Capone in Chicago, and the whole prohibition, which uh, is a side issue, but the fact that there's this criminal element and there was not courage to, to actually go after this criminal element for a variety of reasons. But when they did, Sean Connery played this part. He said, realize it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, it actually, you know, the, the, the totality of the amount of darkness and illegal activity that was there did not change. But it came to the surface because they went after it. And so then when a darkness seems to surge, it's just because the light is going after it. But we are on this trajectory of increasing light. I believe that there's never been a generation with more faith, more capacity for obedience, more alignment with Jesus Christ as a whole than any other generation. And we are moving towards a moment that Romans 8 says that the sons of God will be recognizable even by creation. Wow. So that's, that's where we're going. 
And out of that and weaved into that somewhere is the idea of apostles, prophets, the structure of the church, glory, revival, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So how do we fit it all together? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to fit it all together. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. But maybe we'll just shine a couple little snippets, you know, on, on, some, on some spots. And I, I, I don't want to go into too much right now. I want to read something from a Facebook post. A friend of ours named J.D. King from uh, War Revival Church in Kansas City. He put this out last week, and I, I, I read it, and I thought, that is, that's, that's brilliant, that's wonderful. And then the next day I was thinking about it again, and I thought, I'm going to post that. So I did. So some of you may have already read it, so pardon me. But I'm going to read this to you because I believe it, it's, it sets... It sets a line in terms of understanding what is God doing? What is the big picture of what God is doing in our lives? And in terms of the vision that we have here, what is it we're trying to do? And uh, you think, well, we're trying to make disciples. Yes, that's it. That right there. We're trying to make disciples. Disciples aren't just converts. But disciples suggest a certain quality of believer that uh, is equal to that which God is requiring or looking for, right? God is looking for uh, the manifestation of sons. Jesus was the first of many of sons who would come to glory. And so we're, we are moving in a direction. I mean, we're not just trying to get people saved, though we're trying to do that. But we're not just escaping the flames of hell. We're creating, God is creating a class of being that has never been, a new creation, sons of God like Jesus. And so he is the measure, he is the standard, he is the, the one with which we compare ourselves to because this is the promise that we're meant to be like him. Amen? So let me read this. J.D. King, he says, uh, he says, many want to be apostles or prophets. They envision these roles as a pathway to honor and preeminence. However, it really isn't that at all. How many of you say amen? amen. Yeah. Amen. Prominence and public accolades are not what one finds in the real ministry of a prophet or apostle. Their purpose is to establish the framework for the success of others. All right. The framework for the success of others. I love that phrase. We are building an environment where people can grow up. You know, when, when I think about, uh, I like the horticultural, Jesus liked the horticultural illustrations. You know, Peter says, you are born again by the seed of the word of God. So the way that you are born again and, ch- and changed, God puts a seed inside of you. What is that seed? That seed has the DNA of the Son of God. It has everything that you will need to operate in power, in, in uh, character, in identity, everything. Everything related to the fullness of Jesus is in the seed. So when you get born again, God puts a seed inside of you. And uh, as we know, right, because we've probably seen a carrot or two in our lives, that the seed, the DNA of that, that seed determines what the final product is going to look like. And so we're moving in the direction of being born again with a seed and growing up. But how many of you know that seeds don't grow well in December in Canada? <laughs> right? 
Uh, if you're going to produce anything out of a seed in this inclement weather, you're going to have to create some kind of shelter, some kind of system, some kind of environment that can nurture the growth and the development of that seed. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a, a uh, uh, built with a framework that allows a different climate in here than out there. So that when we meet in our homes or home group meetings or worship or we do a discipleship class or we have prayer on Wednesday night or we come here Sunday morning, we are encountering a different atmosphere, one that generates and encourages growth and development of that seed. That's what, that's what this is supposed to be about. And listen, we could, we could say a million things about that environment, but I, I want to get through this, so let me try and finish. So <clears throat> their purpose is to establish the framework for the success of others. We want to create uh, opportunities for people not only to get born again, but to come to full maturity. Paul approached it like this. You are members of the household of God built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Rather, the pinnacle of the pyramid, he's just discussing what's underneath. Okay, actually, he missed, a, he missed a word. Rather than the pinnacle, all right? So the point is, he's talking about a foundation, something on which other things are built. That's what our apostolic ministry is really about. Apostles and prophets are groundbreakers and foundation builders. They're the rebar and concrete that enables others to build beautiful things. The foundation is arguably the most vital part of the building. It determines the strength and the span of the edifice. This crucial component of the structure is rarely observed. Right? When you go to see a house, how many of you think, what kind of footings you got here? No, you're looking at what, the kitchen. You know, is there a double oven? How big's the fridge? Is that a Bosch dishwasher? You know, what's the ensuite in the master bedroom look like? Nobody says, you know, how level is the basement? Right? I mean, that's important, but nobody asks that question. All right? So the crucial component of the structure is rarely observed, but it's what reinforces and supports everything else. The ministry of prophets and apostles is primarily about atmospheres. I love this part. This is my favorite part of the whole quote. The ministry of prophets and apostles is primarily about atmospheres, environments, and culture making. So when I think of the house of the Lord, when I think of the church, when I think of a culture, when I think of a framework for people to grow up, I think of of what I, the heart I would have when I watch some of you as grandparents, when I see how, uh, how much you pour out on your grandchildren. You know, what is that saying, right? We, if only we could be grandparents before we're parents, right? Unfortunately, it's just you, you grow up so much by raising your kids, and chances are you're going to be a little bit, you don't sweat as many things when you're a grandparent. And, uh, but so there's this capacity in us to rejoice over our grandchildren in a way maybe we weren't as able to do with our children, a way to encourage them. But here's, here's what we do with kids, right? When your kid is walking for the first time, right, are you disappointed that they didn't do it exceptionally? 
Right? When they, when they stand up and walk and stumble and fall, you, you go get the video camera and you take video. This is classic. This is beautiful. Look at this. And you do, do it. You say that with proud, you know, pride and exaltation. How come we don't do that in the church? When somebody comes in, they're born again. And, uh, you know, week one, they come in and maybe they say the wrong thing. You know, what happens? What's the response of the church, right? I remember the, I was t- I told this story before, but when I was first at Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, I met a couple of guys. I was only saved six months. I was going out for pizza one night. I'm telling, you know, this story. And uh, all of a sudden, the swear word slips out. It's like, I had, you know, I just didn't, I thought, whoops, where did that come from? But I immediately felt the revulsion of everybody in the car. It's like, you know, kind of like this, and and I, and I th- and I remember thinking, "Oh, never do that again," because I felt the judgment, I felt the alienation, I felt the lack of, you, you know that that is a that the, I stumbled, and they didn't say, "Oh, you know that's okay, all right, get up and try again." It was like suspicion, fear, and judgment. Why? Because. When we're immature, we don't have an ability to create an accepting environment that's endearing and makes people feel welcome and loved and befriended. We are, we are measuring and judging them. So let me, let me tell you this. How are we going to raise up new believers who are imperfect, who are flawed, who are broken, who are, whose egos are so, uh, so fragile, and they come in here and they're, they're going to do things that annoy you? I mean, if you get annoyed by your almost perfect husband, what are you going to do with these ones? And everybody said, perfect husband, whose is that? I, I'm talking about my wife, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, but you, you get the, like, we have to get the, this, it in our minds that we are here to serve those who have less than us. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to mention that and want to blow past this because I want to get to something else. But uh, let me keep reading. The Ministry of Prophets and Apostles. Father, I, I just, honestly, when I talk about this, my heart burns for where God is taking us. And I just, I'm leaning into a future version of the church that is so mature that is so able to create disciples, so able to take the broken, the infirm, the uh, wounded, and to raise them up into fullness. God, make us, Lord, capable of bringing healing and restoration to our nation, to the people that come into this house. So So it's about culture making, atmospheres and environments. They are mothers and fathers who labor behind the scenes, modeling, guiding, and establishing. They encourage others to construct more visible and celebrated expressions. That's an important one. Maybe, maybe I'll get Chris to take this statement and break it down and teach over the next few weeks when I'm not here. Uh, apostles and prophets, finally, are the floor rather than the ceiling. They're the foundation we, to build on rather than the capstone to build under. And so, so this is the direction we are going of creating an environment 
that first of all is attractive to God. You know, when we talk about the presence of God, we're talking about something that is is absolutely, completely essential to change people. It's the presence of God. And so God, God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth because he wants to come down with increasing measures of who he is on a people that are increasingly aligned with him. And so, so we, are, we are doing, we are worshiping in a way, in a manner to attract him. Now, does that, that doesn't preclude or eliminate the need for discipleship or, uh, or uh, evangelism. It just says, it's a, it's a statement that says our dependency, our capacity to make disciples and make converts. It's not on building a nice new program here. It's not about, you know, having, giving away free bananas on Sunday. You know, and, and having bouncy houses, though it's great to have bouncy houses if we have had bouncy houses. And we, we how many people would, do we feed on Friday night? 200 plus people on Friday night. I mean, these are great things. But, but, the feeding, the, the food and the presenting of fun times is not what converts the soul. It's the manifestation of the glory of God. It is the presence of God that touches the hearts. The, how we calibrate our effectiveness is not how many wonderful programs we have and how many people come and leave, but how many people come and are changed. And to what degree? What are they being changed into? So I want to come to my, my thesis. I was looking for an opportunity to use that word. <laughs> My thesis, yes. My theme, the thing I want to say. So, I'm going to read from Ephesians. And this underscores what is the primary uh, means by which God is going to bring revival. Because we sing songs that are revival-oriented. And sometimes some of those songs communicate the idea that we are waiting on God. Right? And... uh, and it's not that that isn't true. So we sing those songs, and I'm happy to sing those songs. But we need to realize there is a convergence of readiness that doesn't hinge on God so much as it hinges on us. And God is the one who is always ready. God is the one who is always waiting. The ones lagging behind are us. And we need to fully understand this as we go forward. Um, so I'm going to read in uh, Ephesians 3, 9. Paul, I'll start in verse 8, actually. It's a better start. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the age has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. This is the verse I want to focus on. To the intent... That now the manifold wisdom of God, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers, according to the eternal purpose which accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what I want to say. We are his workmanship. And so what God is primarily working on in the earth is not the the unsaved, but the saved. 
The objective of God and his focus is not on the unsaved, it's on the saved. In the same way that when he, when he was in the Old Testament, when he's bringing Israel into the fullness, he was far harder on Israel than he was on the unsaved nations. What Israel was allowed to get away with and what the nations were allowed to get away with was tremendously different. Israel was the one that received the rebuke because it was through them they were going to be a priesthood. They were going to be the avenue through which God was going to touch the world. And so if the avenue through which he was going to touch the world was corrupt and fallen and broken, how could he touch the world? So similarly, God is saying, I want to use you to touch the world. And so the world being changed doesn't hinge on who I am. Listen to this. This is what God is saying. The world being changed does not, does not change based on who I am as God, but who you are as my representatives in the earth. Uh, the ambassadors that represent the kingdom of heaven on earth who carry in their hand the capacity to administrate the kingdom are the representatives of heaven on earth. And so we like to do this. We, we fall into this trap where we're asking God to do something that he's asked us to do. Yeah, my wife says I do that to her all the time. You know, she has a couple of tasks she wants me to do. And I say, well, I don't know where this thing is. And I don't know where this thing is. So I get her to get all the things together. And then I do the job. And she said, and she, she's like, yeah, but, you know, that's like throwing the job back at me. Because most of the job is getting the stuff ready. <laughs> okay, so I'm only a little helpful. But God is saying, listen, you can't throw this back at me. I'm working on you, but who you are becoming is what is going to change the world. You see, the Bible says that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And sometimes we, we, we eliminate ourselves from the equation. We're saying, God, do it. God, do this thing. Fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory. And he said, I'm trying, but you are the taps. You know, you, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is coming to the earth, but it's got to come through a vehicle. You are the vehicle. There's only as much knowledge of the glory of the Lord on the earth as you provide, is what the Lord is saying. Not as much as I provide. I've got heaps. This is why Jesus said in John, he said, him that believes out of their innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Spirit, which after would be poured out. So, so the commodity, that living water that's flowing into the earth, that, that touches the nations, that touches people groups, that touches individuals, that touches community, it doesn't come from some anonymous place far removed from us. It comes through us. It comes through you. It comes through the, through the electrician. Through the builder, through the, the tech person, through the sales agent, through the, through the realtor, through your voice, wherever you are. That's how it comes. You think, well, I don't know, I'm not sure I want that responsibility. Well, I say, too bad. Because that's God's plan. God's plan is to change you 
And the way he changes you is to get you in contact with him. Now that starts by being through the agency of some other person, but basically he wants to get you to the place where you are seeking him. The reason we gather here, the reason we, you know, tonight is specifically evangelism, but the reason the church is gathering is that we may behold him. You know, Paul wrote, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The knowledge of God and the fellowship of his sufferings, of course. I don't want you to think I didn't, don't believe in that part. But the knowledge of God, your actual connection with God determines what kind of Christian you are. Not what kind of behaviors you can suppress. Hello. The quality of believer that you are is not up and down like your behavior. It's constant, and it's based on the amount, of, the, the amount of connection you've had with the Lord. Now, your behavior, your track record goes up and down based on whether you're hungry, right? <laughs> What's that actor with the Snickers? Joe Pesci, right? Your behavior goes up and down based on whether you've had a Snickers bar or not. Whether you're in a good mood, whether you're feeling bad, tired, having a great week, having a bad week. But that isn't what changes people. There's a commodity inside of you when you got born again, and it is growing and developing. It is becoming increasingly like Christ. And as that image of God, see, Paul said it pleased the, the Father to form or to reveal his Son inside of me. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to underscore the principle. So we see this principle here. I love this verse, one of my favorite verses. Uh, If you go into chapter 4 after, it's also very beautiful and wonderful. But let's go with just 18 for now. Never mind, let's go back a little bit. Verse 15. And he's given this analogy to Israel, Moses, but he's working it towards this, the idea of of what happened, what happens when you get born again. But it says, uh, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but... We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I guess this is what I really want to conclude with and develop a little bit this morning. Because it defines what our objective is as a church, what my role is in your lives. I am part of creating an atmosphere and a culture and an environment for you to encounter the glory of the Lord. Your, your growth and development is not based on what you uh, decide to do with all of your strength. Oh, I'm, I'd, like to, I'd, I'd like to hit that person right now, but I'm not because I'm a Christian. No, real transformation is God so moving on your heart and so changing you that you never have the urge to hit anyone, even if they're hanging you on a cross and dividing up your garments. 
And so there's, you know, when we think about this, we realize that there's levels of Christianity. And most of traditional church has taught us, no, good Christians don't do this, even though they want to. No, 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 good Christians don't want to do this. But that's impossible. That's impossible. Yes, humanly it's impossible, which is why this whole world of church needs to change. Our expectations need to change. Our expectations of ourselves and what this is really about needs to change. Father, I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that in this generation you would redefine the nature of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be the church. Listen, he says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. He said, you're being transformed. It's, a, it's, a, it's an active thing. It's not once. It doesn't just happen once. You're being transformed. But he's writing to Christians, right? So he's talking about the process. How are they getting into this? Well, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. What we're looking for is an atmosphere, an environment, so that when people come in here, they don't feel all kinds of prying eyes judging them and condemning them, but they come into an atmosphere where they are confronted by a beauty, the beauty of God that that arrests their hearts and souls. And when they come into that, they experience change. And when you experience change and a touch of God for the first time, it's enormous. It's life-altering. It's a watershed, uh, catalytic moment that you never forget. But the reality is God means for you to experience another and another and another because with each moment where you see something from God or of God, something inside you is transformed. And... Uh, Ah, oh, thank you, God. Now, here's what, I'm, I'm trying to make this quick. It's 11.10. Trying to make this quick. Here's what happens. When, when the Lord comes and touches Derek, and Derek comes home, and he's a, he's a brand new Christian, and he's going to come and bring the gospel to his family. And he comes, well, maybe I won't use Derek. Maybe I'll use me as an example. Yeah, that's probably better. I remember I went to Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and I had all these experiences and God was changing me and it was wonderful and I thought, I thought my family is not even going to believe the guy I've become, right? Well, this is what I thought. So I came back, you know, after six months at Bible college, I knew so much. <laughs> and I did have some dramatic experiences in the presence of the Lord and God was bringing enormous levels of restoration to my life. But anyway, when I came back to my family, my brothers were still my brothers. They were still just as annoying as they always were. And somehow they succeeded in pulling on my old man in such a way as to suggest there had been no fundamental changes at all in my life. And so that was very sobering, and, and I was disappointed, and of course, I blamed them at the beginning. But it wasn't until years later that I realized 
that people can't pull out of you what's not there. That, that the, the impact that you have on others is, at the end of the day, the litmus test of how much you've actually been transformed. Now, being in Bible college, I was able to advance behaviorally and with knowledge and, and talk, you know, my transformation to make it look like I was here when I was really just there. I'd come up a, a little bit. But man, I could act like I was here, which is easy to do when you're surrounded with perfect people, great people, loving people, people who are also, you know, motivated to do the right thing. Oh, would you like to get in line in front of me? Go ahead, please. Oh, I was waiting five minutes for that parking stall, but hallelujah, bless you. You go first. What changes you is not your commitment to be different, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. What makes you actually different is that you come into contact with unapproachable light that has in its power the ability to incinerate things that are not on the same level as it or compatible with it. And our whole journey is being changed over and over and over, going from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. But you know what? When we're surrounded by an environment, so much behavioral modification, so much encouragement to not do this and to do this, we don't really know how much we've changed and how much we're just acting correctly. This is where family comes in. Family is a gift. Natural and spiritual family. Walking intimately with people who rub you in just the right way to show you who you really are is not a curse. It is a gift. (sighs) I remember, uh, oh, I don't know if I should tell this. (laughs) You see, here's the thing. Think about a marriage situation. You got a couple like Ben and Jenna. They're great on the surface. <laughs> They're even better underneath. They're beautiful people. We just actually spent a week away at a camp. It was so good. And, um, but anyway, so... They're walking together, and chances are there's things that Ben does well, and there's things that Jenna does well. My marriage, there's things I do well, there's things that Wendy do well, does well. And I don't know which of these things, I assume, well, you know, I'm just manifesting God in my marriage, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to get her to be like me. Nobody, I know nobody else does that in their marriages, Right? We're trying, to, we're trying to impact the others because whatever it is we do well, we think, you know, this is the God. If Jesus were in this relationship, he would be more like me than you. <laughs> and we do believe that because we're sincere. Right? You're not trying to be a hypocrite. You're not trying to be antichrist in your marriage. So you're trying to, to be the best version of Jesus that you can if you're actually trying. And hopefully, you know, let's assume, right, Joel, that you're trying. With God, listen to the equation. With God, when you draw near to God, you can't not be changed. The glory, the image of God, the fullness, 
actually, that commodity that is native to God will cause anybody who draws near to him to be changed or they can't draw near. That's the way it works. You can't draw closer. That's why the whole, you know, I talk about this all the time from James. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. The whole thing is a generation that is seeking him, drawing near to him to be actually changed. The net effect is this, is that when Cam draws near and he's changed and he goes into his world, whether it's at home or at work or at the grocery store, he is carrying not just a package of behaviors, not just a personality, not just certain, you know, uh, required duties. He's carrying an impartation. What changes people is not how well he frames his Christianity and says the right things and says, thank you very much. Gratitude is great, but if it's insincere, it's not really gratitude. And we, we don't know often the difference between what we're trying to do and what we are. Kingdom discipleship is not about behavior modification. It's about transformation. Changing who you really are in your heart. Changing your capacity, your ability to love people. Your ability to endure what's wrong with them with compassion. The reason why Jesus said, God, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, is not because he had to remind himself that he was the son of God and he should not swear, but because he was moved with compassion. He saw the big picture. He knew that they were victimized by a spirit that was much greater than them. So he's always moved with compassion. Because he carried something inside him. And the nature of that thing is it has an impact on people far greater than the right behavior does. There's nothing wrong with the right behavior so long as you don't mistake it for glory. See, there's, there's behavior modification that comes out of glory and changes you. And then there's, well, I'd like to be an elder in this church. What are the requirements? Oh, yeah, i got to show up at prayer meetings. Eh. What? Show up early? What? Every week? <laughs> so you're in a marriage. You spend 20 years trying to impact your spouse to be more like you because you are carrying this body of revelation. Yet they never change. question you should start asking yourself is how much of that is glory and how much of that is this my preference or my, the culture of my family or some posture I have developed that I'm presenting as the manifestation of glory, but it isn't. See, what, 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 what causes us to be the church that changes the world is we see him, we are changed. In the degree that we are changed, we carry that change. It is a deposit of glory. And when others come close to it, they are impacted by it. When you pray in church, when you speak, when you give food away, those things are one thing on the surface. They are defined by the actual routine that's involved in that. But the impact of that is not determined by the deed, but by the basis from which that deed comes. A transformed heart. And what God is trying to wake the church up to today is that when you keep doing the right things and nobody's being changed, then maybe the foundation from which you're operating is not as wonderful as you think it is. 
which is the essential message he gave to me when I came to my family and they kept eliciting the wrong responses from me and my glory was not changing them. And the Lord's saying, there's not that much there. (laughs) Sorry to say. I don't want to discourage you because God is merciful. I don't want to discourage you, but the truth will set you free. So how much are you devoted to feeling impactful and how much are you devoted to knowing the truth? Where are we going? Where is this going to end? A people who are so committed to being transformed, they keep going at it. You know, they keep going for God. They keep seeking God, and then they live in relationship. Seeking God, and then they live in relationship with their neighbors, the Christians, and everything else. Work People at work, and then seeing what, what really comes forward. Are you pretending to be more holy, or are you actually changing the environment of your work? See, the ability to change and impact and gain influence in the marketplace is not based on intelligence, it's based on glory. Glory spawns intelligence and and wisdom and understanding and those things. But the reality is there's a substance, there is a commodity inside of you that is meant to grow and it, it cannot be overcome by the world. Whatsoever's born of God overcomes the world. And so we're looking at the world around us with two measuring sticks. But this is what we know, and this is our hope, that there's coming a generation who are so going to be so changed, and I believe it's us, who are going to so carry the glory of God that they're going to demonstrate not only to the world around them, but principalities and powers are going to see who they are and therefore who God was and the futility of anything contrary to that. But to begin with, that end goal, whether it's revival or a nation being saved or cities being changed, those are great, but it's built on this. It's built on you being changed. And you being changed, and you being changed. And there's no shortcuts. So if you're irritated with your spouse because they're not doing it the right way, if you're at work and you're always frustrated and you hate the people you work with and you can't love and you, you, you can't have relationship, I mean, listen to this. John, John says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I can't tell you how many people are out there. They're mad at everybody. And they're saying, it's because I have so much light and they don't have any. That's why I'm not going to church. Yet the Bible says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, it spawns an increasing depth of fellowship. So the litmus test that what you're growing in is glorious is this. It starts to impact people. Not because you said the right thing, not because you said it so powerfully, but you just start to carry a weight of authority. That when you say things, it lights up a room. It ignites faith and hope. It's endearing and beautiful and wonderful. People start to want to be around you. When it's born of God, it has the capacity to cause the world around you to begin to snap to grit and to be changed. I'm not interested in enhancing the culture of Christianity or increasing our perfection around the performance-oriented part of our Christianity. I want what's inside of me to increase in power. 
When I did this camp up in Moose Lake, we kept singing the song. When, I, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And I began to say, Lord, that's what you want for me. That's what you want for us. You want, you, 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 you want us to be able to walk into the room and bring hope. Have you, ever, have you ever met somebody that every time you see them, you, man, they're so loving, so accepting, so affirming. It's like, I always feel better when I talk to that person. There's two ways to get there. You can act like that. Or you can be like that. When we be like that, we won't be able to not change our city. We won't be able to not change our neighbors. We won't be able to be in a room and not be influential. That's how we change the political realm. That's how we change the marketplace. That's how we change our neighborhood. That's how we change our extended family that doesn't know the Lord. A level of transformation. And so every Sunday... And you're going to hear me do it again and again and again. I say, lean in, lean in, lean in. It's not because I want this to be some kind of great show for others. It's because I know that your capacity to be this and our capacity to be the church that God has envisioned is built on yet another encounter that takes us from one glory to another glory. And from that glory to another glory. So, Father, I thank you, God, for this plan of revival. You will revive the earth. You will change nations. You will impact families. You will deliver the oppressed. But you're going to do it through a people who are being changed. God, we want to be those people. We want to access, Lord, what you have made available for us as your people. God, help us to lean in in a way we've never leaned in to seek you in a way we've never sought you, to increase our dependency on you in a way we've never been dependent. We pray in Jesus' name. You know, he said one line there, seeking God and living in relationship. I think that's what it can come down to right there, is we know we have to be seeking him in everything we do, and from there, everything hopefully is birthed, right? That's what we want. Father, we thank you so much for the challenge today. The reminder, God, that we need to be hooked up to that source that is constantly feeding us revelation that comes from heavenly places and not from our own minds. And so, Father, we pray first and foremost that you would continue to draw us to you, God, and that as believers that we would not just walk after you, that we would run after you with everything that's in us. And, God, that we would not stop there, that you would take us to that next step, that we would learn to be the family of Christ, that we would learn to love one another and love this community. And so, Father, we give glory to your name and we say, let this be so in Jesus' name. Can we say amen?